Hello, everybody. This is Sam Blum, and we're back with another episode of Calling All Halos. I'm joined once again by my co-host, Connor Grossman. Connor, hello. What's up, Sam? Oh, we are uh, we are now just with 100 games to go. I guess maybe 101 games to go in the Angels season. And before we dive into anything Angels-related, I want to ask you all to please remember to subscribe to this podcast and to uh, give us five stars or whatever ranking you so desire, but hopefully five stars. Um, and if you're right. listening oh. to it now, hopefully it's with great audio. And uh, and as a result, you decide to reward us for our great audio. <laughs> yeah, we'll try to minimize the screaming. And um, yes, we appreciate all of your ratings. But if you're disappointed in how the Angels are playing, don't take uh, your frustration out on our ratings. Yes. And, and, and honestly, hopefully you're coming here because... You know, you know that we're going to keep it real with you because obviously the Angels right now, they're 31 and 30. They're kind of in this position where they get a couple of games above 500, get back to 500, but they're not really they've not really been below it. Um, but either way, they're 31, 30. There's 101 games to play. And as we were just kind of talking about off air before we started recording, it's it's not uh, it's not early anymore. You know, this is this isn't you can't keep, you know, saying it's early. I think that there are some reasons to believe the Angels will get better. There are some reasons to be really pessimistic about this team, but I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, you're starting to get to a point where the sample size is big enough. You've seen enough of it. And uh, if it doesn't start improving wins and loss wise fairly soon, it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's going to get ugly. I like to say the road to 500 has many ups and many downs and the angels were definitely on an up last time we talked, they had just come off a sweep of the Red Sox. And since we talked, they've gone three and seven getting swept by the Marlins beating the White Sox two out of three, and then losing to the Astros three out of four. So many ups right now. They're definitely on a down. And uh, they have a few big series coming up. I mean, the Cubs, okay, not necessarily the headliner, but uh, three against the Mariners, four against the Rangers. Uh, things are going to get real. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think that if you're going to make up ground, uh, the next couple of weeks are humongous because we talked about it on the last episode. The, the July schedule is ridiculous. There is... There are some winnable games here in June. You know, like you mentioned, the Cubs, the Mariners are coming off just a horrendous series in Texas. Uh, a Rangers team that just cannot get beat. To, like, they're just, they just score like 15 runs every game, it seems like. Um, <clears throat> you got the Royals on the road. You got the Rockies on the road. You got the White Sox at home. Um, and so uh, I think maybe the D-backs were surprising a lot of teams uh, this year with how good they're playing. But the, the June schedule, far more favorable than what I think uh you know you'll see in july which is just a lot of a lot of really good teams coming in um so it's it's yeah this is uh this past weekend was was a disaster i don't think there's any other way to describe it they won the last game they salvaged the last game that was big i mean you know you don't want to have 48 hours in between you know uh, getting swept uh by a division rival especially the way that they were playing those first three nights errors you know losing hitters in 2 counts constantly there was no hitting and runners in scoring position um and they stranded uh 13 runners on thursday and eight the next two nights it, it was you know i don't even think they were that great on sunday they just didn't really need it as much because griffin cannon kind of continued pitching really well as he has been he's really kept the rotation afloat in a lot of ways with how with how good he's been uh him and i mean berea you know you two, guys, even, two guys you would have thought at the beginning of the year you didn't even mention the sketchy official scoring that was going on in Houston. But um, yes. I did want to ask, what do you make of a team that struggles to hit with runners in scoring position? Is it is it like a fluky, bizarre thing that you can't really pin down to one guy? Or 
any specific tangible thing. Like even, you know, as a baseball fan, I've always struggled to like, you know, wonder what you make of struggles with runners in scoring position because it's not really something you can teach. It's just a timely hit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's there's different, I mean, listen, we asked Phil that same question the other day and, and he basically, and I thought his answer was good is that, you know, this is, this is, uh, it's a skill. It's not, <laughs> it's a separate skill from, from just being able to hit regularly. Um, and so, yeah, when a team's not doing, and I thought that was an honest and reflective answer because, you know, it, it's, if it's a skill, then it's something that should be getting taught. And so it's, it's, listen, it's an honest reflection of what's kind of getting taught by the coaches, by himself by everybody um and so yeah this is uh if they're not hitting with runners in scoring position it's because they're failing very specifically in that area and i i do think that listen over the course of 162 you know if you struggle for a while in that area but overall you're a good hitting team i do believe that it will average out and that is why if there's any optimism to have with the angels it's that hey listen they're a good hitting team they've generally had a high highly productive offense why is there such a big gap between their regular OPS and their OPS with runners in scoring position? If you look at that, you might be able to say, hey, there's a there's an upward ramp here to have a better offensive team. Same thing with, you know, getting guys out in two strike counts. I mean, why are they like the worst in baseball with an, an, an O2 count? Why are they worse than the A's in an O2 counts? Like that part of that feels like approach. Part of mm-hmm. that feels like strategic, strate- you know, uh, strategy, excuse me. And part of it feels like just bad luck. And so, you know, does that luck even out over the course of 162? And part of the reason why I'm saying it's not early anymore is that, you know, it's, you can't look at things and is it going to average out over 162? At some point, you just have to get better at it. And that point I believe is right now. What if I told you that Brandon Drury and Gio Urshela have more hits with runners in scoring position than Mike Trout? Well, it wouldn't surprise me because I mean, you know, Mike Trout as a whole is probably got the best OPS on the team, but uh, you know, over the last two months, he's just not been very good. He started out the year pretty hot. And then it's just kind of been, you know, some ups, more downs though, uh, more strikeouts, strikeout rates way up. Um, sure. he's talked about his timing being off. You know, he doesn't, I don't think he gives too much insight into it. Uh, but you know, you can tell when you talk to him, it's just like, it's a frustrating thing for him. This guy is used to being the best player in the world. Uh, he's not the best player in the world right this very moment. Um, I'm not, I do think that he could be an exceptional, great hitter. And I still think that's, that's in there. I don't think that this is the decline of Mike Trout or anything like that. I do believe that he's struggling over a longer period of time and and there has to be concern about it though, you know, and I'm sure totally top of that concern list is, is Mike is probably more concerned than anyone. Yeah. And I mean, with a guy like Trout, when you're talking about one of the greatest players who's ever played, like, you know, you get the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, you can afford for people not to dissect your struggles when they go on for weeks and even a couple months before, you know, you're really deserving of scrutiny. And to the point we were making, point I made a second ago about hitting with runners in scoring position, at least as it relates to Trout, like so often you would expect him to be the guy who's on base being knocked in. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you looked at other teams' best players not leading the team with runners in scoring position because often they are the ones who are getting in scoring position. But nonetheless, I still think it's an interesting uh, hitting strategy question to look at. And same thing that you pointed out with hitting in O2 counts, it seems very approach based. And, you know, I think there's a lot of teaching and strategy that goes into it, you know, that maybe always doesn't manifest in results, but as the sample size grows larger, like you said, we've played 61 games. Um, I think it's fair to start looking at things as trends more than blips. Yeah. And and listen, it just, it comes down to the fact that there are 46 games to go until the trade deadline. And, and you know, this is, the Angels are not like, uh, I think any team 
that can just be like, you know, that, that I, there's no, I don't think there's any real scenario where the Angels could kind of stand pat at the trade deadline. Because if you do that, you know, at least not with a, a team that is, um, you know, not firmly in a playoff position. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're like behind and you're, you know, if you're more than three or four games out um, at that deadline and you're going to stand pat, I mean, you're putting, and you're putting your whole future at risk, in my opinion, because you got Hunter Renfro on an expiring contract. You've got Gio Rochella on an expiring contract. You've got guys like, even like Estevez and Drury, who are only on two-year deals. Matt Moore on an expiring contract. You know, we're not even, this is all to address Shohei Otani, who's obviously on the biggest <laughs> expiring contract in the history of baseball. Um, and so there's just, you know, if you stand pat, then you're just kind of like possibly letting the entire, you know, thing run the clock and run it out. And then who knows what you look like next year? Who knows what happens next year? And so I think that you you have to be assessing long-term if you're Perry Manazzi. And as much as I'm sure in the back of his mind, he knows that so much of his ability to run this team even beyond this year is is tied to having a good year into producing for Otani's last season, uh, or at least his last year under contract currently in an Angels uniform. And so there's just so many dynamics at play. And it would make everything a lot easier for everybody if this team is like really firmly in the race. And if they're kind yeah. of on the fringe of it, there's going to be, I, I really believe that would make more sense to start thinking way more about your future. If you're not in a position to, uh, to really make a run or you buy and you, and you just say we're going for it, but there has to be a proactive measure taken. And that's why these next 46 games are going to determine so much. Totally. And I, the standing pad is not an option for the angels. And frankly, I would be shocked if that's, you know, remotely how their trade deadline would be characterized, given how we've talked so much on this pod about, you know, some of the fearlessness that they've shown in making the roster moves that they have so far this year. And that would be, uh, you know, an inactive trade deadline would be totally antithetical to what they've done so far. And I don't think it's an oversimplification to look at the Angels trade deadline as two paths. You either add aggressively to improve the roster or you trade Otani in addition to other moves that would qualify you as a seller. If you're training Otani, you're training a lot more. I right, exactly. So if you're not going to add, why would you even stand pat? I mean, this whole year, this whole year of desperation, this whole year of proving to Otani that like we are the organization that you should, you know, attach yourself to for your entire major league career. Like, I mean, I don't mean to stake it all on this one trade deadline, but I just can't see another path where they stand pat. I think you either add aggressively to just do everything you can to make this a playoff year, or you choose the complete opposite approach. You trade Otani, you trade everything else to salvage whatever you can get out of those players and whatever you can get out of this season to hopefully improve you in the long run. But I think it's two paths. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that second path, which I think to a lot of people sounds like a team that's acting rationally and thinking of their future. That's just never how the angels really operate. They're not, they don't really give up um, when they, when they maybe should or could. Um, and it giving up is not the right word. It's, it's, it's recalibrating. I mean, I, and that might be a, you know, a way teams kind of spin things when they do have to quote unquote rebuild or recalibrate. But, you know, I think that sometimes you have to think like that. You have to think about what, what is in the best interest of your team long-term because if you just go all in on this season and then all of a sudden that doesn't work, um, then what happens, right? Like then you're then you're in a horrible position moving forward, especially since there's really no guarantees about what, you know, how long ownership's going to be in charge of this franchise or, you know, Phil Nevin on the expiring contract as well. Uh, you know, Perry, I think is, is a lot of his future is tied to the success this year. So there's just, it's like everything. It's, it, it really feels like there's, the incentives are to win this year or else. And then, 
you know, the actual smart thing might be something completely different. And it's just, it's total cluster. And that's why we're talking about 46 games. It feels like every day is game seven of the world series in a lot of ways, because so is everything is tied up in how you're going to play in these next seven weeks. It's just, it is beginning, middle and end of it. And I'm absolutely fascinated to see what happens. Um, they got to win on Sunday. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I would agree every day should feel like game seven of the world series, but I would argue, uh, Later this week against the Cubs, it's actually just going to be Christmas in June per the Angels' uh, promotion schedule. Yes. Um, but <laughs> but um, also, I mean, from a fan's perspective, like even if it doesn't make quote-unquote smart baseball sense to go for broke, even if the team is on the fringes of the wildcard race, couldn't you at least appreciate as a fan, like, okay, even if we're five out from the wildcard race, Perry's trading guys and making aggressive moves to improve the roster literally in an effort to, you know, somehow will the Wayne will the angels into being a winner in Otani's last year. Like, even if it doesn't make smart baseball sense in five, 10 years from now, we look back at that as a completely stupid idea. Like, couldn't you at least appreciate them trying and truly, you know, acting out of desperation, even if you wish, you know, that no, they didn't have I mean, to act listen, out. I think some fans will, because some fans are always going to kind of stand behind those types of moves. And yeah, I mean, as a fan, you obviously want your team to do the thing in the best interest of winning. But I think sometimes that is not always the, in the best interest of winning. It, 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 and I think in a lot of ways is the kind of, as I was just laying out, like, I really think what happens is if you do that and it doesn't work, and that's just kind of the way they've always been. It's always been Let's just go for it. Let's just spend. But you, ha there has to be an infrastructure. And when it doesn't work, you sometimes have to question yourself, why didn't it work? And maybe the strategy that you're keep continuing to employ is not working. And it's not getting it, getting you into the playoffs. And it's not making you a team that will win, you know, long term uh, over the course of years and years. And, and they're not, this is not a team built long term. I mean, let's just be honest with that. Like, they're not, yeah. and they're not going to, they're not really trying that. I think that their hope is that if they win this year, there is a foundation in place to start becoming a team that will win long-term, but that's not what they are right now. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, you have good young players. Part of me thinks, you know, it's really cool that you're calling up guys like Ben Joyce and Sam Bachman and Zach Neto is clearly a major league ready shortstop. So I don't have, I don't have any faults on that, but part of me also thinks, you know, is this, is this really what's in the best interest of everybody? I mean, to just keep rushing guys up because you, that you don't know if that's going to impact their development. You don't know if that's going to impact their ability, you know, long-term, or if they're even ready, if they're going to be any good. I mean, Sam Bachman has clearly got stuff to pitch in the major leagues, but he also walked like three straight guys the other day. So there's there's a lot of control issues there too. And and he's, you know, a couple of years out from, from college and last year he was hurt so much. And, you know, Ben Joyce was pitching in a regional this time last year and he's never gone back to back days in his entire career. So like now you're, and now you're telling us that he's going to start doing that. There's just a lot of things that, you know, it's, it, it sometimes feel like it's, it's out of desperation so much already that I don't really know if it's going to work out and they're really just banking on it working out. And, and I think that when you, when you're so desperate to have things work out, you sometimes make decisions that aren't going to help you. And, and I'm not saying they're there yet, but I'm saying that that would be my concern as we kind of approach July, the end of July. Totally. And I would completely agree. And I think most fans would that the angels process and infrastructure are totally due for a revamp and in need of improvement. I would only counter and say if there's one player that makes it worth act, acting irrationally and crumpling up your best laid plans and finding a new path, Otani's probably that guy, especially in the last year of his contract, that makes you just feel like whatever we thought was a smart thing to do, forget it. We're just going to do 
what's going to help us tomorrow. Um, and that's probably not going to be the smart thing to do, but we'll see. I totally agree with that. You know, if there is one guy to do it for, it's Otani. But then you also have, and then part of you also has to think, man, what happens if Otani does not resign here and he walks yep. and you got nothing and you got no playoffs out of it and you get no trades out of it. And, you know, you have a, you have a once in a lifetime player that, you know, has shown no indication to anybody that he wants to resign here. Um, you know, this is a guy that could, that could really help you out. If, if he's not going to resign here, there's still value. And you're not, you're not, I don't think you would get the same value back as maybe Soto got. And maybe fans would expect that because, but Soto had mm-hmm. years of, of control. You know, Tani's basically what would be a two month rental with a chance for another team who already picked him up to resign him, a better chance to resign him. But, you know, so there's some, there's a lot of value in having Otani. I don't know if it's the same value as you would get with so- Soto, but, um, totally. This is a high wire act. It's there's really, no and I don't, I don't envy their front office who's got a lot to weigh. And, 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 you know, I think, a lot, I think the thing that, that gets so many fans anxious is that I think a lot of the decision making is going to come down to what Artie Moreno wants. And, I don't know. I don't think he has the fans trust of, 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 you know, of um, establishing a strategy for building a good roster. And I don't blame him. He no, benefit no. I think as much as we know is that Artie wants stars and he's got two in Otani and Trout, maybe one in Rendon, TBD, save it for another pod, but I mean, um, Tuesday or Wednesday. So, well, as of now, that's the plan. Yeah. So we'll see. We don't know. But 46 games, 46 game sevens to go. We're going to switch uh, switch over to a um, a different topic, which I know some fans of whoever reads The Athletic regularly will know that we have been dealing with. And I don't lo- I like to t- I like to kind of give you guys background on, you know, how uh, since, you know, I don't think there's that much insight into how the media process works from our perspective and covering the Angels. And I know a lot of people find it interesting. I like to give people some background on kind of what we deal with in the media and in covering the angels. Cause I do think it's a unique experience in the way that they operate. And, you know, this year in particular, you know, I've covered the angels in my third year. I would say that when I first started, this place was as transparent as any organizations deal with, um, you know, maybe not like in every single area or every single facet, but it was good. It was, you know, if we needed somebody, it wasn't, it wasn't um, a problem. Uh, and that's important. You know, it's not about us. It's about you guys who are listening to this who are reading our websites, who are reading our newspapers and getting information about the team. And especially when the team is struggling and especially when the team is making decisions that you don't understand or you want to understand better. You know, it's important to be able to access everybody uh, to be able to give background, to give insight. And this year, it's just not the case. If you've been reading The Athletic recently or, um, you know, I've written about how basically in order to get anybody who's not Phil Nevin or Perry Manazian uh, or a player, which I, you know, I believe if players are accessible, then coaches should be accessible. Um, we have to go through, um, we have to go through a- Angels public relations, public relations, and they will uh, pass it up the chain, and it will get back to us whether or not the questions we can, we're allowed to ask those questions, or if they will be denied because the subject, uh, or at least the potential line of questioning, is deemed too negative, which is just. I'll just say it. It's ridiculous. Um, it's not the way the policy, it's not the way any major league team should operate. I don't think the angels are completely alone in this, but I do think they're unique and maybe how it's being implemented, how those things are being decided. Like I believe that AJ Hinch typically likes to be the person that deter, that talks about these things. This is not a Phil Nevin policy. It's not an angels PR policy. I think you guys can probably deduce where it's coming from. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's terrible. And it, it, 
it, it hurts the people's understanding of the team. And it's, and it also is, you know, like when I want to talk to Matt Wise about why the team can't put away hitters with O2 counts, it's not to deride Matt Wise. It's not to insult the team or the pitchers. It's not for any of those purposes. When I want to ask him about those types of questions, it's to better understand what's happening. Uh, it's to better understand so that the readers can better understand because my, that's our job. One of the texts I got back from someone with Angels PR said that they no longer allow coaches to discuss quote unquote strategy. That's against their policy. And I was like, I mean, we talked about it. What, what kind of, what does that mean? I mean, come on. You don't have to, what, our entire jobs of showing up is to understand strategy, to understand approach, to understand what the thinking is. This is not, um, you know, everything, not, everything is strategy. Everything is, strategy. everything is strategy. These are not, this is not, um, you know, the nuclear codes, you know, right. We're talking about baseball. Like this is, this is about, uh, you know, winning and losing ball games. I think we can all appreciate that it's important to the livelihoods of the players and to the coaches and the staff and to the fans. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, this is, these are things that we should be able to talk about without it feeling like, you know, we're discussing the beginning and end of the world here. And, um, uh, it's just the lack of transparency this year has made it really difficult. And I just wanted people to understand that because I think it's important for people to understand. And I think it's important for people to understand why it might be happening. And and it's it's out of paranoia. It's out of yeah. fear of the message being different or being inconsistent or but you know, or the fear of the truth coming out in, in, in certain areas of the organization. And and when you do that, when you're restrictive like that, one, it's a horrible reflection of on, on everything. I mean, fans notice it and they're not happy about it. And this stuff ends up getting out anyway. So what's the purpose of it? I don't know. I just wanted to go on that little tangent and I'm sure we'll, we could talk about it now, but that's kind of what I wanted to say. Totally. To echo your last point, I think it's a, it's a policy born out of fear, born out of paranoia, operating from no position of strength. And yeah, now we, now here we are talking about a policy, not even anything that someone said or anything the team did. We're just talking about a policy that, you know, prevents fans from gaining the understanding that they deserve about their team. And I also love what you said, like, yeah, we're not talking nuclear codes, not life or death. We're just talking about the state of a major league baseball team. And I think it speaks to honestly, a level of fear and paranoia that's permeated throughout all of professional sports and college sports is really what comes to mind when you hear about college football coaches locking down their spring football practices like it's a maximum security prison it's like what do you have to hide what are you trying to prevent anyone from understanding like none of it makes sense it's all silly and really when you're talking about wanting to talk to a pitching coach about why the team can't excel in 0-2 counts it's like well that seems like a perfect perfectly reasonable question to ask and i'm sure the answer is pretty reasonable as well i don't think matt wise is going to embarrass the organization by discussing that topic yeah, and he knows it. Listen, Phil Nevin is not a pitcher, right? He never has been a pitcher. Maybe in Little League, I don't know. Uh, but he's not a pitcher. So, you know, he and 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 listen, I I appreciate Phil Nevin because I do believe that he gives thorough answers and he he gives honest answers and he gives reflective answers. But he's not good enough, right? And that's not a that's not an insult to him. It's that you just need to be able to talk to more people. You need to be able to get more perspectives because he doesn't know everything that's happening, particularly with pitchers, because that's just not his level of expertise, right? He could maybe talk a little bit better about the hitters or just things that he sees from the hitters that have a more credible opinion because he has, you know, been a major league hitter for his entire career. But it's just, it, to me, it's it's crazy. And then the question I would ask the Angels, because I'm guessing someone will listen to this from them, how does this help you win, right? How does this help you win? 
because it's not, it doesn't, this is not the decisions that should be getting made by the people that run this organization and the front office and everybody else. That should be the question that you're asking yourself. How does this help us win? It shouldn't in, you know, it's putting a chilling effect on your transparency, which, you know, I think goes down through the player development system, through minor league coaches, through everybody. How does that help you? Because I don't think it does. I don't think anything that I'm writing is unfair. I don't think anything that Sarah or Jeff or Rhett writes is unfair. And as a result, their jobs are being made harder. My job is being made harder. And then as a result of all of that, you guys, the fans, learn less about this team. And, you know, I think it just shows a little bit about um, how this team is is run. I think it, it can be indicative of why the team has not been, you know, excellent and winning and going to the playoffs every year. Because when you do those types of things, you've, you're not making policies like this. This does not help you win. Love to know the answer to that. If anybody's listening to this and has an answer to that question and ha- wants to text me, you know, I'm sure you can get my number. My DMs are open on Twitter. I love the answer to it because it's it's not the way I, it doesn't it doesn't help you win. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate that this is uh, the way that it's it's all played out because, um, you know, it's uh, it also leads you and fans to draw their own conclusions, right. which also might be incorrect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you want informed, you want informed fans, right? You want informed reporters, you want informed everybody. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's silly. Uh, I've got them, got off my soapbox on it now. I like people to understand what we're dealing with, though, because, you know, as much as you don't want to be the story, I do think that um, you not understanding the full story or how these stories are concocted, or concocted is not the right word, how these stories are kind of put together, uh, then, you know, is it, it it makes you a less informed fan and i think that everything we do here is about making you more informed or you know driving conversation or you know just being uh interesting that's yeah. the goal yeah and, i mean you're a liaison between the fans and the organization just trying to you know impress as much knowledge and understanding as you can to the people that want it and uh the angels yet again seem to get in their own way and prevent that from happening in a normal, orderly way, in a way that just, you know, is rather defenseless and just raises more questions about the way that they're run and uh, just provides another silly distraction from the team on the field that, you know, maybe sometimes we need a distraction from. Yeah, I mean, and listen, you're a baseball fan. I'm a baseball fan. We all read baseball. We both read baseball writers that we like. And, you know, they're, they're the ones that are good are the ones that are giving you the best information and that, you know, feel like it's well-sourced and has everybody's perspective in it. And, it's just a little harder to do that on the Halo's beat. But uh, enough of that. We're going to go to our final little last topic. We're going to talk about everybody's favorite angel or Salt Lake Bee now, David Fletcher, who is just red hot in AAA. He actually had a home run yesterday, which should tell you just about how red hot he is. Getting like Feels like he gets like two to three hits every single day now. But he's still in AAA, and he's still getting paid about $6 million this year to do so. Uh, should he get called up? I mean, I don't know. It's it's like, where's the spot for him? Is not, I mean, I, I once Rendon comes back, I assume they'll put Soto back in the minor leagues. There's not going to be an obvious spot for him. So I'm not necessarily sure where, you know, when you'd call him up. And that might be why he didn't get this call up to begin with, knowing it was only going to be fairly short. But what do you think? I mean, are the Angels served well by having a quality hitter in AAA? Uh, no. <laughs> of course not. Uh, I mean, you know, listen. I mean, it's never that simple. It's never that simple. There are consequences to every roster decision and every move. There are bigger implications, ripple effects. I get it. But, um, you know, unless you're operating a fantasy minor league baseball team, there's not really a whole lot of benefit in having a hot hitter in AAA. I think, you know, 
why wouldn't you want that guy on your major league roster if, you know, the moves to get him there made sense? And I guess I'm just going to assume because he's not on the major league team, the moves required to get him there wouldn't make sense in the eyes and strategy of Perry Manazian. But um, it's curious. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's well, it's just curious because, I mean, listen, I think that time he's been really hot has been the time that Rendon has been out. So and and I think they sent him down there with a purpose, you know, probably thinking that he had lost some lost something, right? And you know, mm-hmm. this is a chance to get it back. Took him off the forty man roster because there was no purpose of keeping him on. He wasn't going to get picked up with his contract. And and I think that they, you know, want, they're they're hoping that they he finds something that kind of makes him the 2019, 2020 version that you know had the OPS like around like high seven hundreds, eight hundreds. I mean, he was not a home run hitter, but he was hitting the ball for power in the sense that he could you know get doubles and even triples from time to time so um that's just not who the hitter he's been the last two to three seasons but seemingly getting hot it'll be curious uh to see what they do uh if he you know kind of stays this way same thing with joe adele i mean joe adele again another guy who's got like 18 home runs in triple a what do you do with him mm-hmm. uh, michael stefanik guy who's on the 40-man roster by the way got a 60 game on base streak going i think so mm-hmm. You know, he and he came up last year and he just wasn't he wasn't hitting. I mean, and 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 there listen, there's a big difference between AAA and the major leagues. So, you know, especially in Salt Lake where the hitting is kind of pl- pretty plentiful. But um yeah to see what they will do with Fletch. I uh I, I think if it were me, you know, I don't really didn't really understand the purpose of having Levon Soto up here. He hardly played and when he did, he wasn't effective and he was really struggling to hit the ball in double and triple A this year. And so why why was he the guy? Uh, especially if he wasn't going to be like a defensive replacement, you know, mm-hmm. you know I, and his defense wasn't very good. I, so it didn't really make much sense to me. Maybe Fletcher would have made more sense. Maybe Stefanik would have made more sense. Maybe somebody even like Trey Cabbage in a different role could have made sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting topic. I mean, he's I feel just- like, I feel like I'd even be, I'm wearing a tinfoil cap to even like put this theory into the universe. But um, is there anything to the possibility that, Perry might be keeping them in the minor leagues as a mean, like hoping they succeed and as a means to raise their trade value and then potentially use them as pieces in a move. And um, maybe they're that much more valuable and appealing if they're succeeding back in the minor leagues and instead of calling them up to the majors in which they may struggle again, in which any value that they've created for themselves in the minor leagues um, is erased. And again, I'm saying that with a tinfoil cap on. Well, you, the, the reader, the listeners can't see this, but you regularly wear your tinfoil cap when we record. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, nothing out of the norm. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you could see that maybe with Adele in particular. I don't think David Fletcher's got much trade value just given what he's getting paid, unless they were to like eat a lot of the contract. And I don't necessarily think that's the move. And I don't think they're going to trade like Stefanik. It's you know. No, okay. Let's uh, dismiss it. Adele is the guy that could that 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 a theory could possibly make some sense for. I think more likely, they are probably hoping that you know Adele kind of has a good year in AAA. He's develops into a good player, and then once you know Hunter Renfro's contract expires, you have kind of an opening there where maybe he can kind of slide in. Then there's Mickey Moniak too, who that's a whole separate issue. I don't really understand why he's not getting any playing time and not in AAA. I would kind of do one or the other here, but um. Do you think uh, Odell has a future with the Angels? Man, that's a tough one. Sorry, it's a big, big question at the end of the pod. Yeah, this is what's we can. Uh, I'll say, I'm gonna say yes. Maybe. <laughs> well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes because I just I I I I think he could. I think maybe a year of AAA is a good thing for him, and he could put it together. 
and the way he's playing makes me think it's possible. But we can have a longer discussion about that on a different pod before we kind of okay. get Okay, before we go, any listener who listened to our last pod may remember that I alluded to uh, a second bonus segment that I was curious about. We tabled it until this pod. And in the spirit of talking about the AAA team, I'm going to talk about something that you brought up on our last pod about the Angels being hesitant to send their pitchers to AAA. Yes. I think it is just that statement on paper is objectively like pretty hilarious and funny and i'm not even saying that it's true but could you speak a little bit more to that like why that thought might even exist in the yeah. mind of angels decision makers because well, the altitude your triple a team yeah i mean look at who they've called up this year they've called up like the last five or six guys from double a they don't even call guys up from triple a and, and i really um it's interesting because one i think that's i think that's reflective of who they're calling up and they're trying to find lightning in a bottle with mm-hmm. some of these hard throwing prospects like just a they called up jose soriano the other day and since silseth actually the triple a he's the one prospect who's kind of gotten run in triple a really uh but they don't like it because of the altitude and i think you know they they probably view that as impacting their ability to like develop some of their off-speed pitches which is a very fair you know concern to have now i think they're concerned about the balls in double a impacting the development of other players in, in other ways but yeah, that's that's the big thing. I mean, they're just AAA is kind of more of a, a quad A type situation, not a prospect situation. I think that they call up certain guys from AAA. They'll send certain guys to AAA who, you know, probably aren't high in their prospect rankings, but maybe are capable of pitching in the big leagues on a moment's notice if needed. Like guys like Jonathan Diaz, Cam sure. Vito, um, you know, uh, who else is even there? I mean, it's like Cesar Valdez, like, you know, guys who have Cesar Valdez came up for one day this year because they just needed somebody who had inning who could give innings in a pinch. And that's kind of what I think triple A is for them. And once the balls get back to normal in double A, I'd be surprised if like pretty much all of their prospects aren't just is still in double A. So it's um yeah, that's that's the big thing. Uh, you know, on, on this, that is it not funny or strange though? I mean, I know teams are kind of handcuffed when it comes to like who their minor league affiliates are, but like is there a reality where the angels are choosing between the lesser of two evils about where to store their minor league yeah. pitchers? Oh, I totally whether think it's like exactly the altitude of triple a or the weirdly grippy ball of double a. I a hundred percent think that this is what they're considering. Yeah. It's like, it's every conversation with it. You know, I mean, last year they would send, they would send uh Silseth to double a when he was options and he's only in triple a because he started the triple a the season in triple a and because they want to make a starter. I think I feel bad for Silseth. He's gone from starter to reliever to starter to reliever to starter. And it's June 4th or 5th. So it's been a weird year for him. They've really kind of thrown him around a lot. And I think it's impacting his his velocity and his command and all that, which has been which was pretty terrible in those last three outings. So yeah, that's it is interesting, but that's just the reality of the Angels situation. And yeah, that's like one of the few things I don't think they can control all that well. You know, I don't put that on them. I think they're doing what's best when they make those types of decisions. But it's uh it's silly. You're right. It is kind of silly to think that you know, the bees are a little handcuffed in that way. I'll be in Salt Lake in a few weeks to talk to some other guys. So well, I'll be keeping a close eye on the uh, the Dust Devils and the 66ers going forward. Oh man, Inland Empire. Now that is a fun place. So it's a bit of a bit of a trek. Kind of could be like pretty hot there. But yeah, let's uh let's wrap it up. Uh thank you everybody for uh, for tuning in again. We always enjoy your listening. Um hopefully when you listen to this, we're not screaming and yelling as we did accidentally on the last pod and we sincerely apologize if you listen to uh the first five if you listen to five or ten minutes of that and had to hear us uh had to hear that awful audio so thanks for listening to this one please enjoy the audio please enjoy the pod please go and like 
and subscribe and rate us five stars uh, when you get a chance, which is right now. And uh, yeah, we'll be back again soon. Take care.